Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church and Pastor Josh LaGrange. This week, Pastor Josh continues to lead us through the Old Testament in the book of Joshua. During this sermon, we look at the storyline of Israel entering the Promised Land, how the tribes were divided amongst the land, and Joshua's sermon to Israel. You can join us by turning your Bibles to the book of Joshua as Pastor Josh LaGrange delivers his sermon titled, The Warrior Leader Brings God's People Into the Land. Joshua chapter 24. If you're a visitor with us this morning, um, we're in a series right now where we have um, been working through the storyline of the Old Testament and trying to do it very quickly. Um, In kind of an overview fashion, there is truth and beauty. When we analyze single verses of the Bible, it is incredible the amount of truth God packs into so little. But there is also a way that God has beauty and truth in the whole plan of redemption through all of history, stretching from Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end. And so we've been working through to see an overview um, of the storyline, the history, as well as the big truth foundations in the Old Testament that the rest of the Bible is built on. So it's not a common thing um, here that we take like a whole book of the Bible and do it in one Sunday. It's kind of hard to do, but we've been in a series where we've been looking at big chunks of the Bible. Today we're we're looking to cover the entire story of the book of Joshua. So um, as some scripture reading to get us started, Joshua chapter 24, let's read this and then we'll pray and ask for God's help. So Joshua 24 Verse 1, Joshua is continuing to preach to the people, has a lot to say. Beginning in verse 1. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for the heads of their judges, their officers, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. So I sent Moses and Aaron, and and I plagued Egypt by what I did in its midst, and afterward I brought you out. I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea and Egypt pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. But when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. Your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt and you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Then I brought you into the land of the Amorites who lived beyond the Jordan and they fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land when I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and summoned Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I was not willing to listen to Balaam. So he had to bless you, and I delivered you from his hand. You crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you. And the Amorite, and the Perizzite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Girgashite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Thus I gave them into your hand. Then I sent the hornet before you, and it drove out the two kings of the Amorites before you, but not by your sword or your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities which you had not built, and you have lived in them. You are eating of vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth. 
put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and, and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the peoples through whose mist we passed. The Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We will also serve the Lord for he is our God. And Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. The people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now therefore put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your ears to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be for you a witness against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord, which he spoke to us. Thus it shall be a witness against you so that you do not deny your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people each to his inheritance. It came about after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in timnath Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim on the north of Mount Gaash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua and had known all the deeds of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now they buried the bones of Joseph which the sons of Israel brought up from Egypt at Shechem in the piece of ground, which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of money. And they became the inheritance of Joseph's son. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. And they buried him at Gebeah of Phinehas' son, which was given him in the hill country of Ephraim. Please bow with me and let's ask for God's grace. Oh, our merciful Father. Oh, Lord. God, we confess our sinfulness. Father, we confess to you that we, we have a tendency, it is in our nature, it is a natural thing, oh God, that we drift from you. Father, we hate the half-heartedness that creeps into our lives from time to time. We hate the coldness, the numbness. Father, we hate the distract, the way we get so distracted by things of the world, Lord, and lose focus on what the meaning of life is, the purpose you've called us to. Father, I, I ask, Lord, this morning that these heavy truths that you have for us in the book of Joshua will call our attention once again, O oh God, to see your glory, to see the meaning of all things. God, that we just get tired 
with all the sparkly, glittery junk of the world and we see you, the great treasure. And Lord, we will once again want you wholeheartedly bring us into deeper devotion, set our hearts on fire with affection and zeal and love for you. Show us your truths, O God. Refocus us, O God, we pray. Father, I need your help to preach. There is no good that will happen unless you send your spirit right now and you shine light on your word. Give me help to preach. Bless all of us, O Lord, to hear, to receive with humble hearts, heeding your word, ready to obey. Make us to want you, O God. Please work for the glory of your name that we leave here a changed people, O God. Save those who are lost. Pierce Encourage, challenge, grow, build up your people, O God. Accomplish great works, O Lord, we pray. Through Christ, amen. If you pronounce the name Joshua in Hebrew, you will hear the word Yeshua. If you pronounce Jesus' name in the original Hebrew, you will hear the word Yeshua. Um, Our English pronunciations of Joshua and Jesus lead us to believe that they are two different names, but in the original language, they they are the same name, Yeshua. As we've been doing this uh, series through the Old Testament, we've been walking through the storyline. If you have never known this before, I I hope that it is just getting ingrained into your minds. The way that God has purposely designed all of history and then Therefore, all of the scriptures, all of Old Testament, we again and again see these ways that it is all a neon sign pointing forward to Christ. He is the summation. He is the apex, the big deal of all that God is doing in history. And then, of course, all that is in scripture. There's a time that Jesus was speaking with some religious leaders um, in the New Testament time and He spoke to them and he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. He said, it is these that testify about me. We're told that Jesus uh, preached through the entire Bible and showed from start to finish how he is in all of the scriptures. He said that all of the Bible is about him. There are literally hundreds of ways that the Old Testament points to Christ. We've been seeing this. And if all of the Old Testament does, well, then when we come to the book of Joshua, and the name Joshua is the name that the Son of God was given when he came to this earth, Yeshua, then there is a way that God's kind of clapping his hands and saying, there's something to pay attention to here. There's a connection to see here. Since we've walked through this, we've seen since the garden, God promising the coming of this one. The the snake crusher, the second Adam, the seed of Abraham, the prophet like Moses, the anointed one from God, the Messiah, the one who will come and fix what we've broken, the one that God just kept promising and promising. So when the Son of God comes into the world, what name would he be given? Would it be called Adam? Because the Bible says he's the second Adam. Would he be called Noah? Noah saved a people from the wrath of God. Jesus will, in an eternal way, do this. 
Would he be called Abraham? Would he be called David? Would he be called Moses or something new? There's a way that God calls our attention in a special kind of way to the role of Joshua by naming the Messiah Yeshua. His, his name means uh, the Yah coming from the name of God that we have been learning, um, that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush, Yahweh, that most personal name that God has revealed, Yahweh saves. That's what his name means. In the book of Joshua, we'll see Joshua used of God to save a people and bring them into an earthly kind of rest. The rest of the New Testament goes on to show that Jesus is the greater. Jesus will work to bring his people into a greater rest and a greater inheritance that makes everything of this earth look absurd and empty. As we've been watching this, we have seen God create his chief creation, that creation rebel against him, fall into sin. We have seen God come and make a special people on this earth, the Israelites, in order to work in a special way through them to be a light to the nations. We've seen that nation go into bondage. We've seen God deliver them out of bondage into a wilderness, come to a mountain, form a covenant, give them a law. We've seen God bring them to the edge of a land of promise. See him tell them to go in. They mistrust him. They go back into the wilderness. They wander for 40 years. And now where the book of Joshua picks up in the storyline, God has led Israel now back to the edge of the promised land. They're camped on the banks of the Jordan River. They can see the water flowing. They can look aside and see this land that God is bringing them into. And what happens in the beginning takes off from this moment. In fact, that's the setting of the book of Deuteronomy. We're going so fast, we don't have time to spend uh, a week in the book of Deuteronomy. I want to highly encourage you to do some reading of it on your own. Deuteronomy is a really powerful book. The whole book takes place right there on the banks of the Jordan River. And what it essentially is, is a 34-chapter collection of sermons that Moses preached as they're, as they're ready to go into the promised land. If, if you remember, Moses had sinned in such a way that he was not going to go into the promised land. And after everything that had happened, and all the events that took place, the deliverance, the wilderness times, he brings them up back into the, back into the wilderness, 40 years of misery and watching people die day after day after day. Now they come back to that edge Moses is pre-fired up. The Holy Spirit comes on Moses, inspires him to preach. And he preaches this amazing book of the Bible, telling them to look to the glory of God. Take the land, trust him, obey him. Don't you see this is the meaning of life? Uh, one of the parts of Deuteronomy I just love is he peels with them just very reasonably. Don't you see this is for your joy? Don't you see this is for your joy? Deuteronomy is some of the greatest devotional reading in the Bible. But at the end of the book, last chapter, Moses has been asking God, can I please go in? God's like, we're not talking about this anymore, Moses. But God says, I'll let you see it. And so he leads Moses up on a mountain, Mount Pisgah. And from the other side of the Jordan, Moses looks across into the land and he views it from afar, vaguely and distantly, kind of like how you and I, view the kingdom of heaven that God will bring us into vaguely and dimly by faith. And then up on that mountain, 
Moses dies. It's a moving chapter. But in his place, God raised up Joshua to lead the people. And the story of the book of Joshua is the account of God now fulfilling his promises to to bring the people into this land that God's been talking about since Genesis 12. Bring them into this land. Joshua is the warrior leader who is charged by God to to take them into the land to fight these battles. And I want to go ahead and just sort of let the cat out of the bag as in the beginning here as we we think through the rest of the day. Because I want the rest of the time um, that we study you to be able to sort of think in the right kinds of categories. As we're studying through these things, the book of Joshua has some rich symbolism. Now, I want you to understand that like whenever we say some of these things like... um, Uh, Moses said there would be a prophet like me who raised up from the people and we see connections, things like that. That's not like just like a clever way we're trying to make the Bible more interesting. The New Testament teaches us to see these things. Like this afternoon you might read Hebrews 3 and 4 and see some of the ways that God shows us some of the connecting of dots between Joshua led the people to rest, but Jesus has a greater rest. So some of these kind of connections that are there. Book of Joshua has some rich symbolism. So as we go through, there are, as we study the chapters, there are principles and truths to draw out from that right there. Trust the Lord. But then also from the big picture way, in just the the glorious way that God has revealed Scripture, He loves to show it in beautiful pictures. There is this storyline that works, and there's some symbolism and types and shadows and pictures that are there as well. Jesus is our warrior king who has gone to battle against our greatest enemies in order to bring us into our inheritance, the kingdom of heaven. There's enough meat right there to spend a whole day, but we're going to try to step back and see the whole book together this morning. So uh, I, I see the book of Joshua dividing nicely into three parts. So here are the three parts. We will sort of work through them. Um, chapters 1 through 12 tell the storyline of Israel invading the land. That's where we'll spend probably most of our time. Chapters 3, excuse me, 13 to 22 is slower. We won't spend a whole lot of time there. It describes the tribes then dividing up the land by their inheritance. And then the last two chapters are what we read the sermon that Joshua preaches to the people. It is a rich book. It is absolutely filled with theology. Moms and dads were charged by God to instruct our children in the scriptures every single day. Deuteronomy and Joshua, really, really good family Bible study material. Lots to talk about. Lots of questions to ask your kid. What do you, what do you see here, hon? And, the, and there's lots that God wants to show in this. So we are going to try to work our way through the events, the storyline, and lay the big truth foundations that God expects us to know. So here we go. Number one, God gives his people the land. Uh, Joshua chapter one is probably the most famous chapter of the book. You can turn there real quick if you, if you like. It's the one you read to your kids at bedtime so they're not scared of the monsters in the closet. Uh, if you want to start in verse six, look real quick there. God is speaking to Joshua on the forefront before they, he even crosses over into there. He says, be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. And pause there for just a second. 
God is giving Joshua military instructions and it's filled with theology, okay, point principle. It doesn't matter what area of your life is being addressed. The point of it is living unto God. The, the entirety of all of the blessing here is dependent on their obedience to God. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. Here's why you are to be strong and courageous. Here's the root. Here's the cause. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, our different Bible heroes, they all had different roles to play. They all had different functions. Noah spent his life as a boat builder, mostly. Did some preaching as well. But that's how he served God. That was his role. Moses had his role. John the Baptist had his role. Joshua has a unique role. Joshua has what I think is a pretty difficult task. Because not only did he lead a nation and preach, he was spiritual leader, all these other kinds of ways. From this moment on, his life was war. War would be the activity of his days. And God calls him to mount up in a tough and resilient courage based on his trust in the Lord. By, by, by the way, Christian, this is always the tone of the Bible. You, you know that like really sappy kind of tone that's always sort of given this idea that your religion is just about feeling the warm fuzzies because I know Jesus is snuggling bunnies up in heaven, that sort of thing. It's got that just real kind of weak tone. The Bible is constantly speaking of, to us in terms of, of, of war, toughness. This sounds a lot like the book of Acts. This sounds a lot like Paul telling Timothy, come and suffer with me for the sake of the gospel. This sounds a lot like Jesus telling his followers, no pansies on this road. Like if you're going to follow me, you got to be willing to be beheaded. This is, this is not for the cowardly, but the root of the strength and the confidence, the courage that God wanted Joshua to have was not, Joshua, you're amazing, and I've, you, you, I just see it in you. You're just great. No, it is God said, I will be with you, and I am not leaving you. When you are doing my work, I will empower you. You serve me, and I will never betray you. I will never leave you. Christian, you and I have a similar promise from God. Matthew 28, great, great commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see the similarity of the promise there. Friend, God calls us as believers to big and risky things that challenge us. God calls us to hard things. I hope that's the way you understand the Christian life. I, I hope you have not bought into this cultural Christianity that's just all this sappy, hey, just live, do whatever you want to do, make your money, buy your stuff, whatever, just make sure you go to church, okay? So you Don't buy into that. God always speaks to us in these terms of your, your, your calling in Christ. It is going to have times you want to give up. It is calling for a resilience, an endurance, a faithfulness, a willingness to bleed, a dying to yourself daily. Take up your cross. God calls you to big and risky things. And in, when we are in the midst of those things, we need the promise. We need the trust. That every time I am stepping out in obedience to God, he is 
with me. Friends, God's, God's promise to be with us. It, it is not talking about, you, you ever hear those stories where people are talking about God's grace and kindness in terms of like, I was shopping for khakis the other day and, you know, out of the corner of my eye, it was, like, it was just miraculous. I saw 50% off sale. Okay, listen, Jesus don't care about your khakis, okay? Like that's not what these promises are for, okay? This is about moments like Richard Wormbrand is in his seat, okay? And he's deciding, am I, am I going to stand up? Am I going to tell the Soviet government I'm going to preach Christ and get thrown in a concentration camp? Those are the moments God is saying, step out in faith. I'm with you. God calls us to big things, risky things. And this is the starting point. This is where God begins with Joshua. Joshua, you got a hard calling. You got a hard calling. This is going to test you. But I am with you. I am your God and I will not leave you. So they step out. In Joshua 2, spies are sent into the land to go scout things out for the first place that they will attack Jericho. Jericho was sort of like the first big city, the first big uh, place they were going to have to come against. Almost sort of stood like guard uh, into entrance to the land. Now, listen, God could have started with a smaller city that wasn't quite so tough and think, well, we'll build them up. No, no, God wanted to begin with a statement. Listen to me, friends. There is something God wanted to show his people. There is something God wanted to show the inhabitants of the land. There is something God wanted to show his angels. There is something God wanted to show his enemies. What our God does, he displays. He's displaying his glory. Their very first battle will be against Jericho, one of the most fortified cities or perhaps the most fortified city in the land. And so the spies go in, they scout things out. In the course of their scouting, they begin to be pursued by soldiers of Jericho. And they take refuge in a prostitute's house named Rahab. She lies to the soldiers of her own city to protect the lives of the spies. A little, little sub-point here in just some of the genius of the Bible. I, I just think like little moments like this, it just encourages my faith because the Bible does not speak in such an overly simplistic way that it doesn't actually work. Like we're not given a, a code of ethics and morals that are so overly simplistic it's not real the bible will show us really complex moral issues and show how people worked through them and what pleases him that is so needed and so Rahab lies to protect the spies' life and God blesses her for it Rahab protects the spies because she has come to fear the Lord. The news of what God had done in Egypt, in the Red Sea, in the wilderness, had spread to the people of the land. We're told that a dreadful fear of the Israelites, but more importantly, of their God. The God who they keep saying is the creator of all things, the one true God. A fear of that God had crept in the land. Different people will respond in different ways. Rahab chooses to to turn and be right with this God rather than resist him. She asked the spies to save her. And they tell her, you can, you will be spared if you will do this. They tell her, tie this scarlet thread in your window because that seems to make sense. This will spare you. Friends, there's an entire study here on this scarlet thread. 
Uh, we sometimes refer to the scarlet thread that runs through the Bible. In fact, if you go back in our children's church room back there, you'll see an, even a, a diagram we've got on the wall that follows some of this storyline. And what we're talking about is this plan of redemption that God works all the way through the one storyline of the Bible following through from the scarlet thread that was tied to the son of Judah to the blood over the doorpost in Egypt to the scarlet thread used in the cleansing of lepers in the book of Leviticus to the scarlet thread here to the blood of Christ in the New Testament. There is a way that God reveals his salvation. And don't you just appreciate the fact that God has shown this in such beautiful pictures, weaving beauty into the fabric of history. We see this. So think about this here. Rahab, the unclean, once idol-worshiping prostitute, has now turned to trust in the Lord in order to save her skin and she is going to be saved. Friends, see any connections to the New Testament here? Uh, By the way, Rahab would actually come to live amongst the people of Israel. She is counted in Hebrews 11 as one of the people of faith, in the hall of faith, one of the people to look to, to imitate her faith. She repented of her wickedness. And so because she's in Hebrews 11, that leads me to believe, I believe she's in the kingdom. I believe we're going to see her in heaven. She's not there because, well, you know, just everybody goes. No, had she not turned from her sin, she would face wrath just like you will if you refuse to turn to Christ. But she became right with the Lord. She she became a part of Israel, married an Israelite man, and in God's uncanny providence, she is in the lineage that would one day lead to Christ. Friends, God is just all the time showing his glory in uncanny kinds of ways, just like that. Rahab is just one example of maybe 50 from the Bible that we get to see their conversion. We get to see them turn from resisting, turn from rebelling against God. That's what the Bible calls repentance and to place her faith in Christ. Friends, it illustrates the gospel. It illustrates this message throughout the entirety of the Bible. There is a way that you can be right with God, but it is not just because you show up to church or you think you pray or think that you are good enough. You must be made right with God through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. If you refuse to turn to Him, make no mistake about it. Forget all your stupid country songs. You ain't going to heaven just because everybody's going to be there. You need Christ. Jump to chapter 21. Look at verse 43. So the Lord gave Israel all the land which He had sworn to give their fathers, and they possessed it and lived in it. And the Lord gave them rest on every side according to all that He had sworn to their fathers. And no one of all their enemies stood before them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. Chapter 23, verse 3. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has been fighting for you. Chapter 24, what was really awesome there. Did you see the part where their entire history was recounted? Abraham, Jacob, Esau. And what did constantly God say? I gave Abraham Isaac. I gave Isaac Jacob. I gave him the land. I fought for you. You are living in cities you did not build. You are eating food you did not plant. How were they able to do all of this? Because it was the Lord who fought for them. Friends, you have more insight into the Bible's mystery 
of God's work and our work and how does it all fit together? God's activity, our activity, God's sovereignty, but yet my responsibility, it's mind-blowing. It's one of the greatest, most beautiful truths in the Bible. And it's one of those you're never going to get your mind all the way around. You'll spend the rest of your life trying to think about how it all fits together. And you'll make progress, but it's just always going to be mind-blowing. And you're just always seeing more of the glory of God. God is sovereignly working in this world. Friend, our God is the orchestrator. Our God is the one in the heavenly realm who is bringing about events. Our God does not just know the future. Our God has planned the future. Our God is unfolding his will. And yet, you and I work and move and speak and think and act and decide. We really decide things. And yet somehow it is all together. Sometimes people have a tendency to go to one side or the other on these things, right? Go to one side to only thinking about God's sovereignty and then acting as though our activity doesn't mean anything. No reason to pray. No reason to share the gospel. You're, ridic you're being ridiculous. You're a fool. But then there's another side of only talking about the human activity and trying to, trying to negate what God does and his sovereignty. You can't do it. We're shown both. It's just big. Just be blown away and be happy about being blown away. He is the decisive one. And what's crazy is, there were times where Israel would sit back and God wouldn't just work without them. When they sat still, nothing happened. Kind of like you don't share the gospel, nothing happens. God wants to use you in his work. The harder you work, the more fruit there will be. It's how does it all work? Don't know. Just know what we're told. Friends, God does not need you. The one plan, what God is doing in this world, God is building his kingdom. God is saving a people for his glory. Our God is not about winning baseball games, you getting promotions or finding your khaki sale, okay? He is building his kingdom for his glory. Your life needs to be about that when you are engaged in the work of the Lord. He is accomplishing his will. He's gonna, he wants to use you. If we sit back on our hands on the day of judgment, we will be the ones who regret it. You are the tool God wants to use, Christian. All right, well, here's the second part that we get to. Chapters 13 to 22, very quickly, the division of the land. All through chapters 1 through 12, we see Israel winning, 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 a lot of winning. There's a real big one in chapter 11. Um, at least 14 kings come together in one great battle against Israel. It don't matter. God gives them the victory. They just save time, beating 14 of them at one time. But then chapters 13 to 22 is all about dividing up the land. It's the slowest section of the book. A lot of city names, a lot of describing boundaries and things. I'm telling you, though, if you read it, don't, no part of the Bible is unuseful. When you read it, there'll be little, little moments like, oh, that makes a difference later on. The Jebusites up in Jerusalem, just all these little things you need to know. All the tribes were allotted land. Something else to help you understand with the Old Testament. The Levites, remember that priestly tribe, the ones who most specifically were set apart to serve the Lord, they were not given one little section. God spread them out in 48 different cities across the entirety of the land. Do you see some connection there? God wanted his ministers living amongst the people all through them. But what it was, it was meant 
that Israel together would sweep through the land. They would destroy the biggest cities, the mightiest kings, biggest armies, and then they would all divide up and each go to their tribe and finish the job. But what we find is different tribes obeyed to varying degrees. Caleb, remember Caleb, one of the original spies? Caleb did exactly what God told him to do. Dude was like 85 years old, swinging a sword, didn't care, marching in, doing what God called him to do, finishing out his work. He did what he was supposed to. But then there were other tribes who just sat. They sort of, they sort of just found a happy place in the middle of the land and they camped out. They eked out an existence. They never got aggressive to do what God called them to do. I find this some of the most practical application in the book. Christian, your life, your life is war. That's not the preacher trying to be dramatic to try to get you to pay attention a little better. Friends, this is what God tells us. And it's not just a metaphor. There is a real spiritual war that is raging every single moment over the rule of God on this earth. That is the reality of this world. The more oblivious to that you are, the more effective your enemy has been in blinding you. Because I, I, I think it is just one of the biggest causes of Christians only reaching a dull mediocre level of growth is the misunderstanding that doesn't see this life as war and doesn't feel the gravity of what this life is for. Don't you just, don't you just get tired of seeing all the nominalism? Like, don't you just get tired of all the shallow religion? Don't you just get grieved over the, the, the half-hearted attitude of Christianity in our culture? Friends, that is failing to see what this life is for. Your life has a purpose. You've been made for a reason. And it's not this trivial stuff. God made you for his kingdom. The people here, they had one job, one calling. This is what God called them to do. And so Joshua speaks to them to wake them up. They had one purpose, the work of the Lord. Friends, your life has one purpose. In Joshua 18, Joshua comes to seven of the tribes and is just like, what are you doing? What? You're just sitting around? Come on, guys, wake up. Friends, can you relate? Can you relate? Can you relate to times that we, we drift in these patterns, these rhythms, where life just gets taken up with my work and my bills, my ball game, TV. Friends, there's some times where we need some of these passages of the Bible to come clap our hands in front of our face a little bit and just say, come on, it's time to refocus. It's time to remind ourselves what this life is for. What are we doing? Why am I okay with wasting my life? I mean, what am I giving my time and attention to? Why am I not sharing the gospel? Friends, God expects us to get aggressive in carrying out his instructions for our lives. 
God expects us to get aggressive in fulfilling this life he has called us to do. God has given us hundreds of commands and instructions in his word. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to try to make this sound easier than it is. Okay? Jesus' message called to us is not, hey, guys, just a couple things. You know, just, just live. Just, just a couple things. That's, that's not his message. His message is come and die. His message is take up your cross daily. Deny yourself. Come follow after me. God is calling for a complete revolution of our life, all-encompassing. That's not the religion the world wants. It wants easy religion. Jesus doesn't offer easy religion. God is calling us to a way of life that comes into complete conformity to his will. And that's a process. It's a process. God's not, God's not angry with you on like day two after conversion. Like, why don't you have everything in order? It's not the way it works. You know, when we first turn to Christ, there are some real obvious kinds of sins that we really need to address. Part of what repentance is. Like, you know what I mean. Rahab had to leave prostitution. The dad who flies off his handle at his, at his kids. Okay, like that's stuff that's got to get addressed like immediately upon conversion. But guys, there's a whole lifetime of instructions that God has for us. They're not all like, don't do this. A lot of them are, do this. And it is a process of growing in order to make my life conform to the will of God, but the way that we obey him, the way that we persevere and endure is by continuously reforming our life to come into conformity with his will. A lot of the life that God calls us to is not overly obvious. Guys, if you're a new Christian, if you start reading the Bible today, and I mean, you read through the Bible every year for the next five years, only at the end of that five years will you start to really get a handle on understanding the information of all that is required, let alone the obeying of it. This is going to take all of us. This takes every part of our lives. But what we cannot do, what we cannot do is reach a level that is cool with the culture and be like, I've grown far enough. See, what Israel did is they lowered the standard of God. In a sense, they created their own version of God's instructions. Guys, this is just done every single day. We can reach a level then in our minds is far enough. I'm a, I'm a good Christian now. We have this tendency to lower the standard. And so Christian, hear me very carefully. You are not done with your battle until all of your sins, even the ones hiding out in the hill places, are eradicated. Uh, pastor, that's never going to happen in this life. And now you know the duration of the battle. Friends, we are not done with the work of the Lord, the Great Commission, until every single soul bows their knee and loves King Jesus. We're not done until it is time to go home. Another part of all this that I find so helpful is how certain parts went easy, but other parts were hard. God gave them big victories in the beginning, but then there were other parts that took them long, long, oh, arduous years to keep pressing. And that is just like our life. 
we go to battle against sins. Christian, if you decide right now, if God stirs in your heart and you have this desire, I want to obey him, I want to be holy, I want to submit to you, there are some sins that could be gone tomorrow if you decide it, but there are other sins you're going to go to battle against. 20 years from now, if you're still alive, still going to be battling them. It's frustrating. It's long. It's toilsome. You'll want to give up. We show our love for God by continuing to climb up that mountain and keep going to battle time after time after time. Christian, your job is not to stop. Don't stop. Don't stop pressing. Don't stop learning. Don't stop pushing. Don't reach a level that you think is far enough. We just see it all the time. Don't reach a level of maturity where you think, now I'm there, now I'm a good boy, now I'm a mature Christian. The moment that you believe you've gone far enough is the day that corruption creeps in and you begin to go backwards. You are not done until you go home. And Joshua pleaded all of these things. My favorite section of the book are what we read, chapters 23 and 24. So many good messages there. Take diligent heed to love the Lord your God. He doesn't just say love God. He says take diligent heed to make sure you keep loving God. He says choose this day whom you will serve. Stop wavering. Oh, we need to hear that so often. We need to remind ourselves If I want the world's goodies, then by golly, just go after them. But if I want Christ, there's only one way to go after Christ. It's all in. No more wavering between the two. Only one way. Joshua preached. Joshua led. Joshua urged in such a way that the people were moved at the end to commit themselves and renew the covenant. Their covenant with their God. And throughout the duration of Joshua's life, They served the Lord. God brought his people into the land. Friends, think about what this moment meant. God's people are in God's land, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. That's a kingdom. That's what a kingdom is. People under a rule, in a land, enjoying this. That's the first time this has happened since the Garden of Eden. And yet... God kept speaking of another day. Joshua gave the people rest. God kept speaking of another rest. Joshua brought the people into a land. God kept speaking of more. And friends, this shows us what you and I know because of Jesus' preaching in the new covenant. The ultimate kingdom of God is never going to be about some little bitty geographic region on this earth. The kingdom of God is God's rule over all of the cosmos that he has created. All of the citizens bowing to him and loving him and all of the enemies subdued. And his people enjoying his blessing and his rule. And this is the greater that we have in Christ. Joshua, the warrior leader, led the people into a temporary earthly rest. Our warrior king leads us into the kingdom of heaven where we will have the ultimate in him. My friends, that is only yours. As you hear me say these great promises and speak of kingdom to come, speak of eternal life, it is not yours unless you are right with King Jesus. 
unless you bow your knee to him in repentance, placing your faith in him for salvation. You do not have a part of this. Don't kid yourself. Stop telling yourself everything's fine, everything's okay. If you have not come to Christ to be saved, there really is a hell. There really is a wrath to come. The people in the land in Joshua's day kept telling themselves all will be as it has always been and felt no fear until the day that God's wrath came. Turn to Christ. Trust in him like Rahab did and ask God to save you. Before you leave today, if you want to turn to Christ, all you need is you and God. Look to him, but if you want somebody to talk to, by all means, find me after the service here. Let me talk to you more, pray with you about how you can come to know Christ as your Savior. Look to him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we rejoice in the beauty of what you have done. We rejoice in your word. Oh, God, thank you for what you have done worked. Thank you for our salvation in Christ. Thank you for the kingdom to come. Thank you for the hope that you have given us. I pray, oh God, that we will be a church family that lives for you because of our confidence in you, that you will focus our attention, stir us up out of half-heartedness, coldness, oh God. Bring us to a life of zeal. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things through Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed Pastor Josh LaGrange's sermon titled, The Warrior Leader Brings God's People Into the Land. Tune in again next week as we continue through the Old Testament. True Vine Baptist Church also invites you to like our Facebook page or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.